chapter fourteen part two of nequa or the problem of the ages this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox dot org nequa or the problem of the ages by jack adams chapter fourteen part two through the air to lake biblis so saying i walked out of the cabin without waiting for reply okra followed me and as she came up by my side said do not be disturbed your victory is won captain Gonneau cannot long withstand the force of truth and he has now placed his position so plainly before our people that the truth will reach him from all sides in a way of which he never dreamed before yes i said i've won a victory but it is over myself he may come to me when he has removed the clouds from his mind and the bitterness from his heart i will never make any overtures i can love humanity and work for it and even if my work is not understood i know that it will exercise an elevating influence on myself my motto for the future will be plenty of room at the top where true love and a sterling devotion to the right will be understood and appreciated you talk like a philosopher said okwa and i have no doubt that your heroism of character will come out triumphant but do not permit your resentment of a wrong to engender a feeling of bitterness toward captain Gonneau. i shall not stoop to that i said i cannot afford it my love in the future shall go out to every human being and i still regard captain Gonneau, with all of his prejudices as one of the best i have forgiven his weakness and want to forget what i need now is something better to think about well said okwa the excursion beneath the waters of the lake and the sea rover this afternoon and the one on the silver king down the cedars to-morrow will give you a great many things that will doubtless very thoroughly engage your attention that i said is just what i need something to arouse my interest and exclude disquieting reflections but what of this excursion beneath the waters of the lake i had not heard of that oh yes said okra the superintendent of festivities would not think of slighting the sea rovers who make the navigation of our shallow lakes bays and rivers safe for such vessels as the silver king and their numerous passengers they wanted to entertain our visitors from the outer world on their own vessel and of course the excursion beneath the water was made a part of the programme well the arrangement i said is better than i anticipated and it surely will be to me a novel experience to be able to see the world of marine life as the fishes see it and as the sea rovers see and improve it said okwa but see they are signalling for us to come on board in a few minutes we had passed out upon the dancing floor of the rovers and descended into an elegantly furnished cabin i was the only one present who had not become acquainted with the crew and okra introduced me as the scientist of the ice king to captain doris of the sea rover who gave me a cordial greeting and introduced me to a number of his comrades in answer to my inquiries he gave me an entertaining and instructive description of the duties of the submarine service our work he said is to keep a careful lookout for obstructions that might impede in navigation and endanger life this is especially necessary in the rivers like the cocytus 
where huge stones are sometimes loosened from the rocky shores and fall into the channel and sandbars form rapidly these are discovered and removed by the submarine patrols but how i ask can you get at them nothing easier said doris as i will show you at once i heard the water pouring into the hold and the sea rover sank to the bottom the captain and two of the crew passed into a little room at the rear of the cabin and immediately i noticed that the sides of the vessel were transparent and brilliantly lighted from the outside looking out i saw the men in diving suits leisurely walking around on the bottom which looked like a smooth floor okwa explained that by means of powerful arc lights and reflectors these submarine navigators were able to see for long distances even at great depths and that the work of removing obstructions was carried on by means of machinery and that the stones which fell into the channel were reduced to powder by powerful explosives and the surface smoothed down like a well-cultivated field the air was continually renewed from stores of condensed air while the poisonous exhalations from the lungs were absorbed by sponges having a peculiar affinity for carbon in a few minutes captain doris returned and the vessel began to move rapidly through the water i was much interested in the view of marine life which was revealed through the transparent sides and especially in the level bottom of the lake which as okwa had remarked really looked something like a broad smooth cultivated field but soon we turned toward the south and began to move slowly along the side of a brilliantly lighted boulevard on which all kinds of vehicles were passing and repassing i was so much astonished at this unexpected scene so realistic and seemingly uncanny that i was utterly at a loss for words to express my feelings okwa seeing my embarrassment came to my relief by saying this is the tunnel across the lower portion of the lake and constitutes a part of the boulevard you noticed along the shores how is this i asked it is certainly not a tunnel excavated under the lake if anything we are a little below the roadway and well above the bottom of the lake with the water all around us we do not said okwa excavate tunnels as we did in ancient times they are constructed in our machine shops this is a metallic tube with supports which rest on the bottom and has many advantages over the old-fashioned dark and dismal excavations the material used is a compound somewhat like common glass but as strong as steel with our submarine fleets it is not difficult to put the sections in place and when completed the water is pumped out of the cavity and the roadway is ready for use even across small streams where the banks are not too high they are frequently preferred to bridges as more safe and durable but for long distances and in very deep water they are indispensable and in the case of deep water tunnels they are frequently made to span submarine gorges how fortunate i exclaimed that this submarine's excursion was on the programme i now see a most wonderful exhibition of the power of mind to overcome material difficulties that it would have been hard for me to realise if i had received the information in some other manner all things responded okwa are possible to the human mind in its ultimate state of development but we are now heading for the landing at the transportation headquarters and we will spend the night on the silver king which takes us down to the ruins of croy in the morning and i ask what is to hinder you from telling me something about these ruins now and what they have to do with norana's economic lessons they are said okwa only the relics of the great money centre which held the people in bondage during the transition period when croy was deserted by the money kings the people determined to preserve it subject only to the ravages of time as a warning and a lesson to future generations 
as okra ceased speaking the sea river arose to the surface by the side of the silver king the hatches were opened and in a few minutes we were welcomed on board the electric yacht by captain thorfinn and invited to an elegant supper the day had certainly been most agreeably spent but its lessons were too suggestive and far-reaching in their character to be adequately presented in a small volume i was fatigued by the incessant activity since early morning and was glad of an opportunity to retire to my state-room and rest i was awake very early next morning and after a hearty breakfast we were soon speeding down the casitas between two lofty walls of granite there was nothing to be seen but these towering cliffs for the first few miles and captain thorfinn gave us a specimen of the speed of the silver king the cliffs seemed to dart past us as if we were on board of a lightning express train and yet we could scarcely feel the motion of the vessel i confess that i felt a little nervous at such astonishing speed but captain thorfinn assured us that there was no danger as the submarine patrols removed every obstruction and preserved a uniform depth of water i asked the captain what was the greatest speed of his vessel and he replied that he had never tested it he had made one hundred miles an hour but the excursionists generally preferred to travel slowly on this trip we would average fifty and so reach croy in about three hours during the last two hours of our journey we were passing through a densely populated country great communal homes appeared on either side and large manufacturing plants at frequent intervals but our interest was centred at the mouth of the river and our attention was chiefly directed over the bow soon a point of land appeared where the river seemed to part in twain this i recognized as the island i had seen from the airship which had brought us to the continent and here is where the city of croy had been situated my interest had been aroused and as the silver king turned into the northern channel the island became the centre of attraction on the larboard side the same scenes of sylvan beauty palatial buildings and groups of happy joyous people continued it was now the uninhabited island that absorbed my attention i could see in places through the tangled brushwood and tall trees which lined the shore glimpses of shattered walls and tumuli overrun by vines and briars such as in many parts of the outer world are so attractive to archaeologists as the ruins of some ancient civilization at one point i noticed what appeared to have been costly monuments to the dead and i said to norena surely that must have been a cemetery and so it was he responded in those days millions were expended in decorating the graves of the rich while the masses of their fellow-beings who had toiled to create what the few had absorbed lived in poverty and large numbers died in almshouses or by the wayside and found their last resting-place in a potter's field more was often expended on a single tomb than could possibly have been earned in any useful service to society in a lifetime they sought to secure a sort of immortality by polished granite columns and laudatory inscriptions this has all been changed for centuries we cremate the dead body in the most speedy and economical manner possible and seek to secure longevity and happiness for all by creating the best possible conditions for the living at another place i caught glimpses of monuments of another description mingled with what had evidently been palatial structures adorned with the artistic work of the sculptor in great profusion obelisks of polished stone towered above the surrounding trees giving the forest a peculiar appearance not easily forgotten but difficult to describe noticing my interest in the scene arena remarked this was once a magnificent park and was ornamented by works of art from foreign lands representing the most ancient civilizations as well as the most artistic products of their own sculptors and painters one of those obelisks dated back to prehistoric ages it was transported from its original site in the old world and great expense as a monument to the wealth and munificence of the money kings 
they had conquered the world then existing and held the people in subjection to commemorate their success they sought to compel the past to proclaim their greatness and gratify their vanity but they had no future they passed away and now the descendants of the millions whom they oppressed visit these ruins and gather lessons of wisdom from their contemplation we were now opposite a portion of the island where the ruins assumed something of the appearance of a city an open roadway between buildings indicated that this had been one of the principal streets in the olden time the silver king rounded to and made fast to a well-preserved dock which forcibly called to my mind the great docks of new york liverpool and other seaport cities of the outer world we disembarked and found the first restrictions on our movements that we had met in altruria except the entrances to private apartments those who desired to visit the ruins on the island were required to register their names and accept an escort to see that nothing was displaced or carried away from the chief points of interest these preliminaries arranged the gates were opened and accompanied by our escort we proceeded up the well-worn roadway towards what had doubtless been the chief centre of wealth and power on either side were huge masses of debris and falling walls of what had once marked the site of lofty structures briars and brambles grew in the accumulated dust of ages which now covered the well-paved streets and marble sidewalks wild vines clambered over the shattered walls and not unfrequently tall trees grew through the tops of buildings where the walls still stood firm we were in the midst of a deep tangled wildwood where on every side could be seen indisputable evidence that this had once been a great centre of population wealth and luxury ruined churches and marble halls where once had gathered the elite of a city the opulence of which had been the wonder of the world now afforded a nesting place for wild fowl my heart grew faint and my head dizzy as i pondered upon the wonderful lesson spread out before me here had been a city no less magnificent in its prime than new york the great metropolis of america and i asked myself the question could this ever be the fate of my native city captain battelle who was walking by my side broke in upon my meditations by asking what do you think of it jack i never saw you so absorbed and yankee like i said i reply by my asking what do you think captain surely you cannot be indifferent to scenes like this when you reflect that we are natives of new york city i am not indifferent said battelle but i have been but i have had the advantage of former visits and since am better prepared for it the part of the city we are now approaching has been kept in a tolerable state of repair to make the lessons taught by these ruins more impressive this visit has been arranged for your especial benefit as you are the recognized historian of the ice king polaris and dione showed houston and myself through these ruins as soon as we reached the continent which led me to infer that they had learned enough of our money system from mcnair to understand that we needed the lesson then you are not a total stranger to these scenes i said no i have been here several times and every time i come i give some new light which applies to our own country these ruins teach a wonderful lesson it does seem as norena claims that human progress always leads up through similar channels of development here we are in what was once a city every feature of which indicates very clearly the existence of the same conditions which now prevail in the great cities of the outer world it had its day and passed away because it had served its purpose and so must all great centres of pride and fashion in which a few absorbed the wealth created by the people and expended for their own pleasure without regard for others we now entered a locality where all the buildings pavements etc had been kept in a state of repair that had in a great measure withstood the ravages of time everywhere else the island had been left without care 
and was a mass of ruins which were largely concealed from view by a deep soil composed of accumulated dust and vegetable humus from ages of luxuriant growth here however were the sub-treasury stock exchange and a number of great banking houses still preserved to some extent as the money kings had left them these buildings said norena were occupied by the taskmasters of the people here was the headquarters of the gold power in this country and having a monopoly of money it bore to the people the relation of a universal creditor and absorbed the entire surplus created by their labor to meet its demand for interest etc here was practically determined the amount allowed to producers on one hand and the price charged to consumers on the other this power was the unquestioned dictator in every sphere of human activity but we will visit the vaults of the great money kings of that time which were the actual head centre of this oppressive oligarchy of wealth we entered a massive building its heavy bronze doors and polished granite walls gave the impression that notwithstanding its artistic finish the chief object in its erection had been strength and durability the thick plate-glass windows could be at once protected by heavily barred steel shutters at a moment's notice this massive structure could have been converted into a fortress that would enable a small number to hold it against a multitude the front room was perfectly equipped as a bank but with a strange and seemingly reckless display of gold coins giving one the impression that a time had come when the owners were utterly indifferent as to what became of their accumulated hoard large safes were standing open literally crammed with stacks of glittering coins tables and shelves were crowded with the yellow metal which the custodian informed us was kept just as it had been left as a relic of the ages of mental darkness when the wealth-producing millions foolishly believed that they were dependent upon this golden hoard for the privilege of converting their labour into the means of subsistence from the public office of the bank we descended a flight of marble steps into the basement which we found brilliantly lighted by electricity huge steel vaults were standing open piles of gold bricks rested upon the floors and packages of gold coins met our sight in every direction you see said norena how the gold flowed in upon the creditors when the people were making their exchanges without its use among the people it was only used to pay debts and as the money kings owned to such a large extent the indebtedness the gold supply of the country flowed in upon them until it was difficult to find storage for it additional vaults were built and these were soon filled at first they sought to turn this clut of gold to profit by making improvements which gave employment to labor great trunk lines of railroad were built and the government borrowed vast sums which were expended on country roads waterways harbors and so forth but the people now fully established in business for themselves continued by their system of paying dividends to consumption to increase the price of labor and its products when these millions were paid out as wages and entered into circulation they speedily found their way into the people's banks and were returned to these vaults to pay debts all this time the price of labor and its products was increasing and the purchasing power of gold was decreasing until in time all the debts were paid and the people ceased to exchange their products for money altogether the purchasing power of gold was gone and the money kings who held on to the system to the last were poor indeed they found starvation staring them in the face then they abandoned these useless hordes went out among the people and found plenty of employment for their really valuable talents from the gold vaults we passed into the others where bonds mortgages stocks etc had been kept here continued norena at regular intervals clerks were locked in and kept close prisoners while they clipped coupons for their masters you see by the labels the kind of securities which each compartment contained 
these vaults held a legal lien upon the great bulk of the wealth of the country the interest dividends etc on which if paid in cash would require each year a sum equal to at least one and one-half times the entire circulating medium of the country and the principal if converted into cash would have required ten times the entire volume of gold in the world here in potency was held a lien sufficient to take every acre of land and personal property in the country that i said calls to my mind a phase of the question which i would like to have you explain how did the multitudes especially in this city and on this coast escape the grasp of these money kings who also owned the real estate the people had no land to go upon and hence could not procure a subsistence by cultivating the soil without paying tribute in the shape of rent your question said narenna is far-reaching and i can only hint at the reply which it naturally calls forth the money kings overreached themselves by encouraging people to secure loans and pledge their real estate for interest and principal and then by contracting the circulation in order to increase the purchasing power of the money which they received as interest as long as only a minor fraction of the land was mortgaged the interest was promptly paid but a time came when nearly all of the lands were mortgaged and the people were compelled to force their products on the markets all at once to get money to pay interest more and more of the debtors gave up the struggle and abandoned their farms these lands were useless to the money kings when no longer cultivated by a sturdy yeomanry all along this eastern seaboard where agriculture ought to have been most profitable farms were abandoned because they would not pay interest on the investment the money value of lands for actual use to producers declined to zero and the people crowded into the city and were regarded in their impoverished condition as a dangerous class under these circumstances the tendency of the ruling class was to encourage the homeless poor to go upon the lands and dig a subsistence out of the soil for which there was no market iola explained this to me i said but i have never quite understood why it was that these colonists were not charged a rental that would keep them in perpetual poverty that said norena would certainly have been the result if there had been no great central rest with a widespread tendency to agitate the money question and its relation to the economic condition of the wealth-producing millions when the people began to organize as consumers with a view to minimizing the demand for money and to equalize distribution by paying dividends to labor the money kings were forced to change their policy in regard to labor and many producers got a firm hold on enough land to furnish a subsistence the unused land had no value and the equitus continued to increase the price of products in the west the money kings who were not able to sell their lands could avail themselves of opportunities to exchange them for products the leaders of the cooperative movement here in the east knew how to take advantage of these changing conditions and by their communal system of cooperation were able to keep the movement on peaceful lines and thus avoid violent collisions which might have locally at least set the work of industrial emancipation back for years then it appears i said that it was not the western organization of equitable exchange singly and alone that compelled the gold power to relax its grasp but this eastern cooperative movement was also a factor in securing better conditions for labor that is true said norena in the west the people had one great advantage over the east plenty of land but it was the organization of equity in the west that flooded this eastern financial center with money not as interest but because the western people were using less money and paying debts this made times better for the eastern workmen both the western and eastern cooperators were working on the same principles they were all accumulating funds to purchase land 
and just in proportion as the people acquired control over business they had more influence on legislation and the power of money was correspondingly decreased so it seems i said that your business organization did at last get into politics yes said norena it did get into politics as a business influence and what may seem strange to you its object was to prevent the repeal of laws which had been enacted in the interest of the money monopolists these shrewd financiers raised a great outcry against combinations among producers to increase the price of products by using interchangeable certificates of deposit instead of money in the transaction of business the people were using the same methods for the improvement of their own financial condition that had been used so successfully by monopolists for their impoverishment and the patrons demanded that all the laws that had been enacted in favor of monopoly should remain on the statute books they further demanded that all debts should be payable in legal tender money at the option of the debtor i should have thought i said that the people would be glad to welcome the repeal of laws from which they had suffered so much there was a time when they would said norena but not after they had adjusted their business relations to the operation of monopoly laws their debts were legally payable in money and as the purchasing power of money was continually decreasing it was to their interest to pay in money and when all their debts were paid and the people refused any longer to take money for their products the money kings who owned these vaults and their hordes of gold had to go in search of food many found homes in the cooperative communities and became valuable citizens while a larger number had taken the alarm and emigrated to the old world only to meet a worse fate a little later on for in the less enlightened parts of the world the reign of gold wound up in a reign of terror the lesson taught by these ruins would fill volumes lorena's accurate historical knowledge and ever-ready explanations with the not less forcible comments of okwa and others covered every phase of this wonderful speedy and peaceful evolution from the era of money despotism to the era of man and universal freedom equality and fraternity no wonder i thought that these people had preserved the ruins of croy as a relic of their dark ages and a warning to humanity for all time to come here human selfishness reigned supreme and the people of an entire continent had suffered in order to pour into this greedy maw the wealth which it had no power to consume and now this once great centre of wealth pride and fashion was a solitude its aristocratic four hundred had actually been starved out by the refusal of the clodhoppers greasy mechanics and mud-sills whom they had held in such contempt to feed and clothe them any longer surely this was an object lesson well worthy of the care that had been taken to preserve it from the refining and civilizing hand of labor time was slowly obliterating these footprints of a tyranny from which the people had been emancipated for ages but it was still important that it should not be entirely forgotten and there could be no better reminder of the evil that had impoverished and degraded the millions as well as of the means by which it had been removed than these ruins and the abandoned heaps of useless gold after a day among the ruins and full of serious reflections we returned to the silver king and were soon speeding down the bay we landed at the tower and from this point the electric cars soon transported us to our great communal home i was fatigued and retired to my own apartment at once to think and rest End of chapter fourteen part two